This presentation of the USA CBD Conference is brought to you by IndustryPods.com in conjunction with Immortal, a well-being beverage company, bringing you Immortal Nitro Super Coffee and now Immortal Super Immunity Shot with Hemp Extra. All is well at Immortal.com. That's I-M-M-O-R-D-L.com. and gentlemen, welcome and happy Valentine's Day. Woo! It's yours truly, Nadia Natalia, your master of uh, ceremonies here for the USA CBD Expo. We are in day number two. Now, I just wanted to give some credit back to the USA CBD Expo. I think they all deserve a round of applause for putting together an amazing expo. You know, just yesterday, uh, they had over three, just about over 3,000 people show up. <laughs> and today we're anticipating well over 5,000, okay? It's going to be really busy. Uh, we anticipate and hope that all of our vendors do fantastic today. Um, so just, again, I've got to give you guys some credit. Thank you for putting on an amazing, an amazing experience. Now, I do have uh, an announcement before I go ahead and bring up our first panel of the day. Now, we do have uh, our speakers in our breakout rooms today. Don't forget, the breakout rooms also have additional uh, speakers and uh, experiences that you guys can go and check out. For instance, uh, to the left of the entrance, uh, where you walked in, are conference rooms with interesting topics being discussed in them all day long. So make sure you check them out. Now, coming up in conference room number two, from 1240 to 110, 1240 to 110 today in conference room two, you're going to have the co-founder of Restart CBD. Her name is Shada Tarabi. Now, uh, make, make sure you visit Shada in conference room two to learn how to market and educate consumers in an unregulated market. Now, make sure you have your camera phones ready, your notes, questions, because this panel coming up is very important to our industry. First up to the main stage is going to be our law panel, covering various aspects of CBD and the law. The panel includes Natalie Bujanin, please come on up to the stage, and Griffin Thorne. Both are attorneys at Harris Bricken. We also have Jesse Bader, attorney at Epstein Drangle LLP, and Jason Drangle, managing partner at Epstein Drangle LLP. The panel will be moderated by Julian Garcia, co-president of the Cannabis Law Society at the University of Southern California. Please put your hands together for our first panel for today. Thank you. Hello, everyone. Uh, thanks for coming here. Uh, to get started, I want to start by having everyone briefly introduce themselves, a little bit of the work they do in the industry. I'll go ahead and start. My name is Julian Garcia. I'm the co-president of the University of Southern California Gould School of Law. Uh, so I am a student here to offer that kind of education, student perspective. And um, yeah, we can kind of go down the line. Um, Hi, my name is Natalie Bujani. I'm an attorney in Portland, Oregon. And uh, for the past year and a half, my practice has been focused on the regulatory framework of CBD products. So I review labels and websites all day long. 
Hey everyone, my name is Griffin Thorne. I'm a colleague of Natalie's out of the LA office of Harris Bricken. I, along with Natalie, am one of the authors weekly on the Candle Law blog, which many of you may read. I focus on transactional and corporate deals in the CBD and cannabis industries. Hello everyone, my name is Jesse Bader. I'm an attorney at Epstein Drangle. I largely focus on trademark prosecution and also work on litigation relating to counterfeit goods with Jason. Hi everyone, Jason Drangle, managing partner at Epstein Drangle. We are an IP firm with offices in New York and China. Uh, I primarily focus on litigation and anti-counterfeiting work. Thank you. All right, let's start with uh, some marketing and labeling questions first. Um, what are some of the main considerations CBD companies selling in e-commerce should take into account to mitigate the risk of enforcement actions? So the first thing, if you're selling your products on a website, which I'm sure many of you are, um, you need to ensure that you're in compliance not only with state laws, but also with federal laws. And when I talk about state laws, you need to ensure that your products meet the various labeling and marketing requirements of the states from which your products are manufactured and, um, and, and distributed, but also every jurisdiction to which you're shipping your products. So that, that's a really important consideration because as you know, not every state allows for the sale of CBD products at this point. Uh, when it comes to federal law, it also matters even though the FDA has yet to regulate the sale and marketing of the products because when you're selling your products online, you're engaged in interstate commerce. And so the FDA is still going to be concerned about the, the validity of your labels, but also your website. Uh, the FDA works very closely with the Federal Trade Commission uh, on ensuring that consumers are not being deceived and that the content of the product is in fact what it says it is on the label. So that's one of the considerations. Of course, the hot topic lately has been uh, not making health claims, uh, which you know I can, I can further expand on what making a health claim is, but essentially any statement you make about the therapeutic value of your products even benign implicit statements about the general um, um, uh, therapeutic values of CBD, not your product specifically, uh, will, will create an inference that your product has, you know, offers some medicinal value or can change the structure of the body. And so um, that, that's something to, to look for and, in my opinion, avoid entirely to mitigate your risks. Uh, of enforcement actions. And then, of course, the other thing to consider is make sure that there's some, um, you know, specific labeling requirements that are on your labels, and I could talk about that a little bit later, but those are the big ones. Uh, and uh, some contractual um, considerations on your website, like indemnification clauses and some disclaimers that are hemp-specific um, so that when you're selling a product in a jurisdiction, you're warning the customer that your product is lawful, uh, where you're sending it to, but if they were to travel in a state where the use and possession of these products is not lawful, that you're not liable and that they will indemnify you. Thank you. Uh, you spoke about contracts. So I want to go to that next. Um, how are contracts in the CBD industry different than those, for example, in the state licensed marijuana industry? They're different in almost every single way. Um, I think the, the biggest difference between the two industries is that in almost any state where cannabis is legal, or in every state, it's extremely regulated, every single part of the industry. So things like when you can even be open for business are regulated. Uh, unlike CBD, which in many states, there's no laws at all. Uh, and so that guides how you write a contract. I mean, you need to be very careful in the cannabis industry. There's a lot more freedom in this industry. 
I think the big difference is though that law, because it's changing so much, contracts really need to, to take into account the possibility that what's legal today may not be legal in six months and this relationship we're building today may not be okay in six months and figure out creative ways to address that either by allowing parties to terminate or allowing parties to modify or do whatever else they need to comply. But, you know, a lot of the times people draft contracts that just end up not being okay in a few months. And that's a real risk in this industry. So with that being the case, are there some key provisions that should be in any CBD contract? Or on the other side, are there some provisions that should be absolutely avoided in any CBD contract? Anyone can answer me. I think testing is probably the most important provision in any CBD contract. No matter where you are in the supply chain, whether you're a cultivator or a retail seller, you want to have assurances that the product was tested. The biggest reason is because the difference between a federally illegal substance and a non-federally illegal substance is that 0.3% THC level. And so if it's not tested properly, you as a retail seller could be liable for the cultivator's problems in failing to test it, even though they may have told you, oh, this was tested. So putting it in a contract is good for two reasons. First, it tells people what they need to do in addition to the regulations and laws which tell them. But second, if they violate the regulations and laws and sell you hot, hot hemp, essentially, you will have a remedy against them under the contract, whereas if it wasn't in there, there wouldn't probably be a remedy. That would just be something that the feds or the state governments could uh, take an enforcement action against them for. And if I may quickly add on to that, I think what's really important too is that even though um, not every state has specific regulations about the amount of THC that must be in finished products, you should go with the most stringent testing requirements, which at this point is the total THC limit because this guarantees you that your product is in compliance with every state law. Always go with the most stringent requirements. Absolutely, thank you. Protecting your product is obviously very important, so I also want to talk about protecting your brand. Um, so is there a lot of counterfeiting currently going on in the CBD or cannabis space at large? And if there is, what should companies be doing to protect themselves? All right, the fun stop. So protecting your brand. Uh, I would say that counterfeiting is not as prevalent in the CBD industry yet, but you know we look to other industries, the vape product uh, industry generally, uh, as you all are aware, uh, vaping has been has going through kind of a rough patch with respect to counterfeit goods. Um, so we're seeing that uh, countrywide. And so we suspect that CBD industry will follow suit. Uh, so it's really important to take preventative measures uh, to ensure that your IP is adequately protected uh, so that you can minimize counterfeit goods in the future. Want to add anything to that? Sure, and there's lots of ways to do it. Yes, we are at the precipice, I think, of, of counterfeiting issues in your industry. So. You know, you look around, you see really great brands. The trademarks are important. Packaging protection is very important. To the extent you have unique shapes, you could register those as trademarks and distinguish yourself. Patents, copyrights, and images, and different things like that. You really need to distinguish yourself and take the steps ahead of time um, for preventive measures later on. And you can get the cooperation of government. Customs is fantastic working with brand owners uh, to stop the flow of counterfeit goods. So just make sure you take the steps early on to search your brands and protect them. All right. So it'd definitely be best to try to do the work on the front end so that no one actually does steal your brand or anything like that. However, what should a company do if they do come across a company that has a similar name or a similar product as them? So hopefully the goal is to 
not encounter that. So in the event that you're in the process of creating your brand, from a, a trademark perspective, the first step you want to take is to adequately clear your brand. Uh, as a trademark attorney, I spend a good portion of my day uh, conducting clearance searches, which consists of looking to see what's out in the marketplace to see if there are any third parties that are potentially using, using similar marks to your own proposed mark. Uh, so before anything, as a first step, and if there's one thing I want you to take away, at least from a trademark perspective, is to clear your brands for use. Uh, trademarks in the United States, uh, companies uh, build their rights in and to a mark based on use, uh, using your mark in commerce. So you want to be able to make sure that you can in fact do that without potentially infringing on third party rights. Uh, so yeah, again, first step, make sure that your mark is clear to use in the marketplace. Obviously it's an emerging industry and so people are excited to get out there um, and showcase their brands, but take the necessary steps uh, and protect your brand adequately. And as far as searching goes, since it is a unique in industry and the registration in the federal system is limited, um, you need to do common law searches. Google searches basically is probably the best thing to start with to see if your mark is available. But then you can follow up with federal searches, state law searches, um, just common law searches just to make sure, again, as Jesse said, you build up rights through use, not necessarily registration. So you have to do your due diligence. Thank you. And uh, I've gotten this question a lot. This seems to be a very hot topic in the industry. Should CBD companies avoid using the term CBD on their product labels as opposed to, for example, hemp extract? Yeah, that's a question I get every day. And every day I hear myself say it depends. Um, and I think w what's interesting about this trend, it, it goes back to a 2001 case um, involving levastatine, which is a substance that was historically used to treat um, cholesterol. And there are a lot of parallels there here with CBD, and I'm just gonna briefly summarize where this comes from. So essentially the court holding um, taught us that so long as a product or a substance has been used um, for hundreds of years as a food or dietary supplement for medicinal purposes and is used in its quote, naturally occurring form, and I'll go back to that, then that particular substance can be used as a food or a dietary supplement without the pre-approval of the FDA. Now, that's not what happened in that particular case because, of course, the company used levastatine that was um, chemically modified. But I think what the, the, the takeaway here with CBD, of course, is that the FDA, as you probably know, has approved CBD isolate as a drug ingredient in Epidiolex. So people in the industry are saying, well, I'm not using CBD isolate. I'm using full spectrum or broad spectrum hemp. And therefore, I'm using something that has been used for hundreds of years in various cultures as a food or as a dietary supplement. Therefore, I'm going to use this terminology on my labels because it is safe. And if the FDA, the FDA comes after me, I have a strong argument. You would. I would, I would agree with that argument. The only caveat here, of course, is to be able to prove that what is in your product is in fact naturally occur, occurring in its natural form. Because as you know, there are hundreds of strains of hemp. Uh, we don't necessarily know how to determine what, what, you know, what this means. And so until we do, and also until this issue is litigated, quite frankly, because it's a speculative argument, we have no way of knowing with certainty that just using, using the term hemp extract um, is sufficient. 
Another added layer of complexity here is going back to state laws, is that a lot of state um, labeling and marketing laws now require that you include the concentration of CBD that's found in your product, and also that you list CBD as an ingredient uh, as part of the list of cannabinoids that are found in your product. So even if you decide not to name your product, you know, a CBD brownie or a CBD dietary supplement, you will most likely have to use the word CBD on your label anyways. So that's, those are some of the considerations that uh, people in the industry need to take into account. Of course, you can look at these laws and decide, okay, I'm not distributing in states that are mandating that the word CBD be on the label, but quite frankly, this is becoming the rule, um, not, it's not an exception. So um, I think that people have to be very careful in choosing terminologies because at the end of the day, what the FDA and the FTC are concerned with is consumer protection. And the purpose of a label is to educate the public so that they can make an informed decision when purchasing their product. And so whatever is on your label, on your packaging, your packaging needs to be substantiated by research, by um, test results. So just be really mindful of that. And so long as you can back it up, then um, I think you have a strong argument. All right, thank you. You know, I'd just like to add to that that another pro point is that there is no federally or I don't think there's even a state accepted definition of full or broad spectrum. And so people who play fast and loose with this can run the risk of walking themselves into a state or consumer lawsuit. And we're seeing more suits by consumers against CBD companies saying there's false advertising. And if the advertising, which includes things on a label, isn't 100% accurate, that's the possibility in the near future. And with loose definitions like full spectrum and broad spectrum, this can be just a trap for people who are not following the rules exactly. Thank you. So obviously there's a lot of considerations into going into whether to add CBD onto your label or not. I want to add one more consideration for that um, would be trademark confusion. Um, how likely do you think it is or how often is it that there's trademark confusion between a company selling CBD goods versus a company selling non-CBD goods? So we're going to see this play out, I, I would suspect, uh, in the next few months, the next couple years, uh, when there's litigation between non-CBD companies and CBD companies regarding their trademarks and their overall branding. Uh, I suspect that a cosmetic company is a cosmetic company. Having CBD in your product is not going to get you far enough away. Uh, so in determining confusion, uh, I suspect that people will, the courts will rule that there could be confusion, confusion based on the goods. Uh, and so if you have a CBD cosmetic or a CBD tincture and uh, another company out there is using a mark, a trademark, and, and they were using that trademark prior to you using the trademark because those rights are based on your use, uh, I think you, you're going to encounter a, initial, an issue from a legal perspective. Thank you. Um, are there any recent developments in hemp-related trademarks that's unique to hemp or something that these business owners should be aware of? Yeah, so I'm sure most of you are aware that in uh, 2018, December 20th, 2018, uh, the Farm Bill was signed into law, which removed hemp from the definition of marijuana as, per defi as defined in the Controlled Substance Act. So what effect does that have on federal trademark registration? Now, companies can secure federal trademark registration for topicals, so your, your class three goods and generally your cosmetic goods. Uh, the, the Farm Bill also preserved the authority to the FDA uh, to rule on further guidance with respect to dietary supplements. 
So at the federal level, you're not currently able to secure federal trademark registrations uh, for anything that's ingestible, so your tinctures, your gummies, and so on. So a strategy there is to the extent that you have cosmetic goods or any kind of topical, uh, assuming they're clear to use, you would want to secure registrations at the federal level for those. And to the extent that you have dietary supplements or your tinctures or what have you, you'd want to secure state uh, protection for those where you know, you're currently selling and where you're currently allowed to. Thank you. Um, this question's more for Griffin now. Um, with this, as you kind of mentioned, this constantly shape, shaping and shifting regulatory environment, how is that affecting CBD contracts? And is there a way that companies can write into their contracts, a way to shift their liability to deal with that? Yeah, so it's kind of like what I talked about a few minutes ago. The law is changing very rapidly. Uh, what I tell people all the time is if we talk today and then talk again in two months, the law will have probably change at both the federal and state level. And so that's something that people need to be aware of. And, I, you know, as I mentioned, some of the, the things we put in the most are ability to terminate a contract if the law changes in an adverse way or to modify a contract if the law changes in an adverse way. Those are not really the most ideal things because the idea is to keep the relationship going. So shifting liability is another thing that we, we do a lot. And so this really depends on the nature of the contract. If I'm representing a processor versus a retail seller, but you know, we want things like strong indemnifications. If I'm, a, if I'm a retail or wholesale seller, I want representations from the person who gave me these goods that they comply with law because again, I can go after them if the law changes in a way that uh, is harmful to my brand or my good. Uh, and, and you know, just the general contract uh, terms that would be helpful to any sort of business. But with, with CBD in particular, given the fact that the law is just gonna be different wherever you go and at any time, these are things that are like really need to be considered and thought out well in advance of any inking any kind of deal. All right, thank you. And this is a broader question. I kind of want to hear from everyone on the panel about this one. What is the most common problem or issue that your clients come to you with, and um, how do you deal with that? Um, I, you know, it's, it's sort of like an issue of half of its IP and half of it's what Natalie's mentioning. I, I, people want to advertise in ways that may not be prohibited, that may not be allowed, uh, or get trademarks that they may not be able to get. These are the two things I think I see personally the most. And so it's finding a narrow pathway that allows people to advertise in a way that's commercially viable and that's in a way that's a lot, like probably going to draw less scrutiny from the regulators. I think I, um, I try to avoid that, but I have gotten quite a few clients this last year who call me after they have launched their, launched their website and their products. Uh, before I have even gotten a chance to look at their labels or review their websites. And, uh, you know, thankfully we've been able to remedy some of these things. None of them uh, have had to deal with enforcement actions. But again, it was just this, I think, habit maybe in the industry of just jumping because everybody wants to get their foot in the door first without taking into account the fact that there are, you know, there's this patchwork of regulations that you need to be familiar with. And so one of the things that our firm does is um, each month we look at all 50 state labeling, oh, well, all 50 state laws, basically, when it, regarding the sale and distribution of CBD products and help our clients determine whether or not it is lawful to sell and market these products in all 50 states, then you know from there they can make a decision as to whether or not they want to enter those markets. Um, but that's 
you know, the main thing that we do, um, at least Griffin and I, when it comes to CBD, is really advise clients as to whether or not they should um, sell their products in a particular state. Thank you. Yeah. So, so I think I touched on it before, but mainly it's making sure that your brand is not potentially infringing on other people's marks and their overall brand. And that just goes back to, you know, the number one, I, one thing I want you guys to take away today with respect to trademarks is to ensure that, you know, you're conducting those clearance searches and making sure uh, that it's clear to use. I think the trademark sphere is a little more fortunate in terms of, of certainty, given the Patent and Trademarks Office recent guidance on on the registrability of hemp trademarks, at least with respect to topicals. So clients, obviously, if you're a brand that only sells uh, ingestibles, you know, you're not going to be able to get federal trademark registration. And your use, you know, you have to make sure that you're legally using it in commerce at a state level. So I think going back to use and clearing your mark are probably the two bigger issues with respect, with respect to trademarks. From a litigation perspective, just infringement claims and counterfeit claims, again, because there are issues with registration, um, you have to have a registration to enforce counterfeits, and it has to be the exact, basically the exact mark for the identical goods that you've registered. So if you're not getting um, the ingestible products, then you should be registering in the states where you sell, or you will not get the cooperation of law enforcement to the extent there are counterfeit uh, situations, but from a perspective of common law rights, where you don't have registration, you can enforce your rights um, without having registrations in a court, federal, state. So, um, but these are the types of things that are developing right now because it is a newer industry with regard to, you know, the government um, identifying those trademark rights at this point, and we're sorting through that, you know, year to year. So hopefully, it gets better as we move on. Great, thank you. Now, I do want to make sure that we have time for questions from the audience. So before I open it up, do any of you have any final comments you want to make sure that everyone is aware of? I guess one, one plug I make, and I make this to everybody I deal with in this industry, CBD laws are not the only laws that apply to CBD businesses. And I think it's very easy to get tunnel vision. Uh, the one thing, especially with e-commerce businesses, we see a lot is that websites don't have things like privacy policies which are legally required if you operate any kind of website virtually in the United States. And in my home state, California, just passed an insanely comprehensive new privacy law that applies to probably any e-commerce seller out there. And so we deal with this a lot where businesses spend a ton of money up front investing in the regulatory side and don't focus on all these ancillary laws that definitely apply to them. And in a few years, it's gonna, we're going to start seeing a lot of litigation and enforcement. So. As painful as it can be, uh, people need to broaden their horizons and look out just beyond the FDA or the State Department of Health or the State Department of Agriculture and focus on everything else that's important. Thank you. Anyone else? Okay. All right. We're going to go ahead and open this up to the audience now. If anyone has any questions, feel free to raise your hand. Hi. So regarding uh, following the changing state and federal regulations and who's doing what, is there any sources or any go-to websites or anything like that? How best to track that? Because it's changing so much. Unfortunately, right now, um, not really. I mean, that's, that's 
what I mentioned a minute ago. That's what we do each month, which is incredibly time consuming uh, in that we review every state laws um, to determine if you know, new regulations have been adopted or if a Department of Health or a Department of Agriculture has changed their guidelines. Um, so that's incredibly tedious, and I think for the time being, the best thing you can do is consult with an attorney. Not everybody does this because it is tedious and because hemp is, is still a novel specialty. But um, I think, you know, if, if you're selling online in particular, you really want to know uh, what those laws are. And there are a few states like Mississippi where you know it's still unlawful and so you don't have to worry about it yet. But, um, you know, maybe I would say if you, if you can't afford to hire an attorney, which I completely understand because it's expensive, uh, at least look at the main jurisdictions where you're selling your product. I don't know if you have states where you can, you can tell every month where you're shipping a lot. At least familiarize yourself and understand the laws of those states. Uh, and the best thing to do, again, it, look at your state legislature's website, look at what the law is, and if any amendments have passed, look at the Department of Agriculture's website uh, if the sale of these products is regulated by that entity. It can also be the Department of Health or the Department of Environment in some jurisdiction, or possibly the Attorney General of that state may have released some sort of public opinion uh, that, that basically determines whether or not the sale and marketing of these products is available. But for now, I mean, those are really the tools I, I would suggest you use. And, um, but no, there isn't one place, unfortunately, right now. So I guess that's why I still have a job and Griffin has a job. My name is Wayne Ferno with Top Shelf Roots out of Tampa and Puerto Rico. And my job is to raise money for the cannabis business and for our private equity firm. So regarding the selling of private securities, they go after you, meaning the SEC or your state, only if they think you're doing something wrong because they can only chase so many people around. So it, with all of the people selling CBD from all of these companies, they have to have a set of priorities on who they're going to talk to and who they're going to investigate. So are they only looking for people who they perceive are doing things on the black market as well? Or are they chasing Verge and Ignite because they're the big guys? I think that's a, a labeling relate, related question. Um, but I think for the most part from what I'm seeing that uh, Enforcement is related to those companies that are making health-related claims, um, and so they are prioritizing in that sense. But then I don't know if you want to live in a world where, yes, everyone's selling, but you know, one day you could be receiving a letter too, and so you really kind of want to focus on making sure that your labelings are you know, in conformity with the strictest state laws. No, I, I would agree with that. And you're right. I think that, you know, the FDA has been very candid about that. They don't have the resources to go after everybody. And so they have to pick and choose. Now, I have noticed a trend. You know, originally, my conclusion was that the FDA was going after the big players, like Curaleaf, right, to make, to make a statement. And also because they knew that these companies carried a lot of weight and uh, were making quite outrageous health claims. Now, in the past few months, we have noticed 
that the FDA and the FTC have issued warning letters to much smaller companies, like mom and pop companies, that don't have the means to go to court. And so that piece to me um, raised a red flag because I think that we can no longer rely on the fact that they're only going after the big bad players. Now, I'm not saying that there isn't a spectrum of risk in terms of making health claims, right? Certainly, if you're going to say that um, CBD, I think that there's really strategic marketing jargon out there, and I've seen it here. Some people are very clever with their marketing, and I think that that will help them mitigate their risks of enforcement actions because they don't say things like, you know, CBD cures insomnia or um, can, can soothe your, I don't know, aching muscles. They do it in a way that um, is much more subtle and while I still think that the FDA could say the consumer is clever, they can infer from there that you're making a health claim, I think that if you're going to go there and if you want to make some sort of health claim about your product, then at least be smart about it. Um, the other thing that you know, I think is really important to remember about health claims is that you do not want to say things broadly about CBD or inform the consumer because, again, Unfortunately, at this point in time, even though, like everybody else, I have read the World Health Organization's reports, I think that they carry a lot of weight, and I believe that they're scientifically sound, the FDA does not care right now. So unfortunately, we're stuck with the FDA's policies, and at the end of the day, you're making a business decision. If you want to make health claims, you need to understand the risks, and you need to ask yourself, do I have the means to defend this in court, because at the end of the day, a judge won't care that everybody in the industry is making health claims. That is a defense that has never worked and will not work in the industry either. Yeah, I'll just add to that and say, I'm a little bit more cynical about the federal position on CBD um, because there isn't a clear position at all. You know, the same day that the Farm Bill was signed, the FDA came out swinging and said, a lot of this stuff is illegal, we're gonna do all these things and take people down, and, and they've repeatedly said that, yet they've repeatedly done almost nothing, right? They've issued 20 or so warning letters in about a year and a half. Uh, I'm not aware of any public enforcement actions against companies, so we're getting a lot of very mixed messages from the federal government, and I expect that to change probably this year. There probably will be enforcement actions filed against companies, but it's created a lot of confusion and it's made it hard to advise people in this industry because states are allowing things, the feds are saying no, other states are saying no, it's all over the map. So where, whether there's clear priorities or not, it's very impossible to, to say that. And if I may, one last note, if you're a big company, especially a publicly traded company, you're the kind of company that should be highly aware of you know, not making health claims. Because as we saw with Cureleaf, it's not just about receiving a warning letter from the FDA or the FTC. It's about class action lawsuits. It's about securities lawsuits because your shareholders can also sue you if the value of your stocks go down because you receive a warning letter, letter which is the case, right? So you have also to anticipate those kinds of risks. Now, if you're a small company, chances are a big law firm that you know, brings those class action lawsuits for deceiving consumers um, is not as likely. But that's another factor that you should take into account uh, when you're a business owner is, is how large are you? 
and are you more vulnerable than anybody else to, to be sued? Hi, uh, we're talking about your uh, legal issue in the US only probably uh, most of the time, but I'm trying to take it to this industry and worldwide. And uh, I'm, I'm asking around people like, oh, Mexico is not allowed, Austria is not allowed. Some people, they, they do, and so I'm kind of confused. So in, uh, in terms of pharmaceutical product and, and general product, do you have any idea or there's an international CBD association to rebuild this information or such? Did you, I'm so sorry, I, were you asking specifically about pharmaceutical, about drugs? or about just CBD products in general overseas and, and how those are regulated? Both, uh, both the industry and worldwide. Uh, okay, well, I'm not well-versed in reference. all, <laughs> in, in, in international law. I know a little bit about European law because we're starting to help companies, but I can tell you that um, entering the EU CBD market is not as easy as it seems because of course, if you're an EU member, um, the European Union has its own sets of regulations about CBD and the fact that a product may not contain more than 0.2% THC. So the, the THC limit is even lower in Europe than it is in the US if you're part of the EU. Uh, now, the EU also has something very similar to what the FDA uh, policy is regarding food and dietary supplements in that um, any food or dietary supplements that's infused with CBD needs to be approved as a novel food. So you have to go through the same process and it's very long and tedious. Um, so unfortunately, those, those products are not safe to, to be sold in Europe either. And then when it comes to cosmetics and topicals, you know, it's, it's a bit safer as it is here, but you have again to worry about um, importation issues, and, um, and, and what the laws of that particular state, or I call them state, but um, their country is really what their laws are. And uh, it's very different. They have their own marketing and labeling groups. It's, it's very much like states in the United States where um, you have to understand what these specific regulations are. Um, so it's not, it's not that simple to enter foreign markets. Does anybody have any other question? I think we're coming to an end pretty soon here. Okay. All right. All right. Well, these attorneys are going to be around at the expo as well to speak to you afterwards. So if we don't have any other questions, one, two. All right. Any final remarks from the panelists? No? All right. Great. Well, thank you all for coming. I really appreciate it. Thank you. This podcast was produced and presented by Industry Pods in conjunction with the USA CBD Conference in cooperation with Immortal, a well-being company. Any unauthorized use is strictly prohibited. Any and all trademarks are the property of their respective owners. Coming up on 5-Minute News, I'm Anthony Davis. You might think it's partisan because maybe it's critical of one side or the other, but it's not. It's just the truth. And I think that's also something that's kind of unusual for Americans listening to the radio or to podcasts because 
The news landscape in the States has been so partisan for so many decades. So 5-Minute News is verified, truthful, independent, unbiased and essential world news daily.